Election College, Episode 260, William McKinley, Part 1. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, we're going to camp out on William McKinley for a while for none other reason than, well, we know a little bit more about him. And he's kind of one of the, how should we say, first modern presidents, kind of, sort of. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And yeah, we, we know a little bit more about him. Uh, we've had multiple episodes in the past about him. We'll have multiple episodes this time around as well. And uh, we also did, uh, we, we got sent a book by Simon & Schuster. Um, we did an interview with the author of that book about William McKinley. Uh, we'll put a link to the show in the show notes to it. Um, so you can check that out on Amazon and pick it up. We're not, we'll get, you know, if you buy it, we might get a little spiff from it, but we're not getting paid to make this endorsement, but it's a really good book. I read probably about the first third of it and just got distracted with other things. But so far it was really entertaining. But anyway, yeah, William McKinley, uh, he's like kind of in our era, even though he's really, you know, still 150 years or more back. Yeah. So we're feeling the repercussions from his presidency, probably more than any other president who gets any credit. Like you can say, yeah, Abraham Lincoln, there's a strong federal government because of some of his policies or Andy Jack, because, you know, the whole state's rights thing. But William McKinley, some of the practicalities of what happened during his administration, we feel today. But we'll get into that later. Let's go back to 1843 in Niles, Ohio. And the McKinleys, William McKinley Sr. and Nancy McKinley, they've got a whole brood of kids because that's what you did when you lived in Ohio in the 1800s. You had a lot of kids. And William Jr. was the seventh child. So that goes to show you that William Sr., he wasn't just an egotist. Not that you're an egotist if you name your first child after yourself, but you know, he's extra specially humble <laughs> to wait till number seven to name him William Jr. What if they were all females or, or not suited for the name William, perhaps? Uh, that's possible. Or you could be George Foreman. And just that's true. All your kids George, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it may not matter. That's right. Gender, gender may not matter and birth order may not matter, but yeah, so the McKinleys, they were, uh, you know, English, Scots-Irish descent, which that's two separate things. And they settled in Western PA. Hey, that's near you. Mm -hmm. And the family moves to Ohio when William McKinley Sr. was a, a boy. And they settle in what's now Lisbon, Ohio. He meets Nancy and he's like, hey, let's get married. And she's got some Pennsylvania heritage as well. They figure, let's start this family. And they're very much aligned with the Whig Party and the whole abolitionist sediment that was very stereotypical in a positive way uh, of people who 
would have come from Western Pennsylvania and settled in Ohio. So good for them. In 1852, the family moved to Poland, Ohio, because there were some better schools there. They wanted their kids to be able to attend. And William graduates from Poland Seminary in 1859. The next year, he decides to go to Allegheny College in Meadville, also not too far from me, and uh, remains there for about a year, but gets kind of depressed and maybe homesick and just sick in general and goes back home. Uh, He uh, did recover from his health, um, but the family's finances declined and he wasn't able to really go back to school. So he picks up a few part-time jobs and starts teaching uh, at a school uh, back near Poland um, thereafter. Man, Ben, I like to think that you would have known the McKinleys because here you are, the mayor of Butler, Pennsylvania. That's true. You would have known them and you would have been real good friends and you would have invited me to meet them <laughs> as well. And we'd, we'd be chums. We'd all be buddies. I think that's what yeah. you would have said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd, we'd go out on the lake and go fishing and talk about abolition, <laughs> I guess, something <laughs> like that. But speaking of abolition, when the southern states decide – hey, we're going to leave. See ya, USA. A lot of people from Ohio volunteer to go into the military and defend the Union and preserve the Union from those rebels. So McKinley and his cousin, William McKinley Osborne, which I'm sure got really confusing, they enlist as privates. Ben, I'm so glad you're not called Jason Goff. Yeah, that'd be confusing for sure. That'd be crazy. Yeah, so they enlist and they are privates in the Poland Guards, Poland, Ohio, that is, in June of 1861. They head out to Columbus where they join other units and they form the 23rd Ohio Infantry. Now, this doesn't mean that they just go and take off and begin fighting. No, they train for a while and they head to Western Virginia and join the Kanawha Division of the Union Army. And they keep on heading east, eventually going through Washington, D.C. They miss the Second Battle of Bull Run. So I don't know how you would feel about that. Like, this is great. We missed (laughs) a very bloody battle. Or we could have fought and defended the Union. But he eventually joins up with the Army of the Potomac and cuts off Robert E. Lee as they're trying to advance into Maryland. So whenever everybody goes into winter quarters in near Charleston, Virginia, McKinley gets ordered back to Ohio to recruit some fresh troops. And when they get back to Columbus, the governor, David Todd, says to McKinley, hey, uh, you're going to be the second lieutenant. And this is because of all the great stuff you did when you were at Antietam and things like that. So McKinley and his guys don't really see a whole lot of action uh, until the Battle of Buffington Island. You know, that famous battle that everyone's heard about, the Battle of Buffington Islands. Uh, uh, But they move forward and they (laughs) obviously continue to do well there and um, continue to just, you know, beat up the Confederates and they have their ups and downs. And uh, this isn't a Civil War podcast. You know all about how the Civil War went. Hopefully, if you didn't, there's lots of podcasts out there to tell you about them. But in 1883, McKinley gets elected as a first-class companion of the District of Columbia Commandery of the Military Order of the Loyal Legion of the United States, or MOLUS for short. 
And so this is essentially just a, a kind of a society of different individuals who were officers who served in the armed forces of the Union during the Civil War and kind of a, a nice recognition for him there. Yeah, and you're going to hear a little bit more about his heroism. I was going to say heroism. Heroism uh, in our interview with Robert Mary, who is the author of the President McKinley book. So stay tuned because that episode we are going to replay for you next week. What you need to know is after the war, he moved back not to New York. And I'm not going to wrap that. After the war, (laughs) he ran back to Ohio, which doesn't rhyme and probably could never be part of a rap. Has anybody ever rapped about Ohio? Um, pro- there's probably like one person. Yeah. And it might be about a city rather than the state. I always think about Ohio. You know this, Ben. Columbus, Ohio. If you're going to have a um, test group of people, say you're a restaurant in your national chain and you're going to test uh-huh. market. Like Columbus is the representation of America. I think Taco Bell has a big center there, I think. And Wendy's. Their Wendy's does there. too. Okay, but yeah. Other, yeah, Wendy's started there. But Columbus, Ohio, if you're going to test market something, like we should have gone up to Columbus and said, hey, uh, listen to the podcast. <laughs> I wonder why that is. I wonder what makes that area like kind of a, a, mixing, a mixing pot, as you would well, it's kind of always been that Ohio is a very free place and mm. it's been welcoming um, to African-Americans, uh-huh. to Scotch-Irish, to Easterners, you know, the whole Western Reserve thing. Right. McKinley's uh, parents were actually kind of a part of this a little bit where the Western Reserve, that was a lot of people from Connecticut came out. So, uh, you know, you got the New England, you got the people we would call like our family, the you know, the rough people from the mountains, uh, they would come up to Ohio and feel welcome. And then you got the big university right there as well. That helps. Yeah. Anyway, he goes back to Ohio. So I'm sure that there are some raps because hip hop, classical, whatever, Ohio's got it all. <laughs> he begins studying law because he knows that he's going to be president someday, right? That's right. Yeah. That's just what you did. You knew that you're going to be president. You... Uh, get admitted to the bar, which he does in 1867 in Warren, Ohio. Um, Then he decides that, hey, I've got this great law degree. Well, you know what I mean. Whatever law degree you would get in that era. Moves to Canton and sets up shop. He forms a partnership with George Belden, who is a former judge as well as a lawyer. And he is quite successful. He buys a block of buildings there on Main Street and he's making some cash because he's renting out these houses, which by the way, if you're young and you can do that, go for it. Go buy some properties, rent them out, make some coin. Um, then the thing you need to know is Stark County, which is where Canton is. The population was pretty split between Democrats and Republicans because Face it, it's Ohio. It's a good cross-section of America, right? And he decides to run for office of prosecuting attorney in 1869, which was usually held by the Democrats. And guess what? He wins. 
But in 1871, he loses because that's just the way things happen sometimes. Really close election, though. 143 votes kills the deal for him. So as he is progressing through his career, he's like, hey, I kind of would like to, I don't know, have a lady. And he meets Ida Saxton, who is part of a pretty prominent family there in Canton, Ohio. They get married. So it goes just like that. They meet, they get married. And uh, Ida joins William's Methodist Church. Because remember, William is a very devout Methodist. They have a child, Catherine, who's born on Christmas Day in 1871, and a second daughter named Ida, who uh, dies the same year she was born in 1873. Uh, Of course, Ida goes into a pretty deep depression, and her health, which was always kind of bad, just gets worse. And then two years later, Catherine, their first child, dies of typhoid fever. So... Ida never really gets over that, and they don't have any more children after that. And you can imagine why that would be hard to get over, of course. And Ida develops epilepsy. And from that point forward, it was not very, it was what well, didn't make for a good situation for William to be away for very long. Uh, she really liked having him around. And of course, he really wanted to be around, uh, very devoted and, and, took care of her during her uh, time of need. And um, with that epilepsy, it can, you know, kind of cause issues at any time. So uh, they were pretty close and he really kept care of her. And that that's one of the things that is kind of his, one of his legacies to me is that even with all the things that he was, he did and all the Im- important stuff he did and all the offices he held, he always made sure to be uh, a devoted and good husband. Yeah, for sure. And I think that is kind of what enamors me with William McKinley. He's just devoted to her. You know, it's one of those things when you say your marriage vows, you don't realize the better or for worse. And, you know, here she is reasonably healthy. And then tragedy strikes and he sticks by her the whole way. So I think we'll drop in some nuggets along the way as we talk about him and his devotion to his wife. But Back to his political career, he is all about Republican politics. And as he's rising in his law career, he's becoming very prominent, and the Republicans are taking notice. He attends the state Republican convention in 1875, and what you need to know about that is that is the convention that nominates Rutherford B. Hayes, who was his war friend for a third term as governor in 1875. So he campaigns, keeps on supporting him uh, throughout his career, as you'll see later on. But McKinley takes on a high profile case as an attorney that defends a group of coal miners who were arrested uh, for rioting because they clashed with strike breakers. Yeah, so he has a pretty good stance with the labor unions and things like that. And so as he's campaigning for the Republican nomination, that really helps him out, which sounds kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, the the things have switched around a little bit in the last 150 years as far as unions and labor unions and stuff like that. But the delegates to the conventions were like, yeah, uh, blue collar voters, they're going to vote for this guy. So in August of 1876, he gets nominated. 
uh, for the seat in the 17th congressional district. And at that point, Rutherford B. Hayes was nominated for president. And William McKinley is like, hey, uh, I'm going to campaign for you. I'm going to campaign for me. We're both going to win. And they did. And uh, this really helps because Hayes wins this really uh, hotly disputed election by about 3,300 votes. So you can imagine that at least some of those votes had to have come from McKinley's campaigning. And McKinley, he wins, but it's not all roses because he's going to make a lot, lot less money than what he was learning, uh, earning as a lawyer. So, you know, everything comes with a little bit of a cost. Yeah. So McKinley takes his seat in Congress in October of 1877 and Rutherford Hayes, he's the president. And you think that this is going to be great. He's got an end to the president, right? Well, it doesn't really do that much good because let's face it. McKinley, he's young, and he breaks with Hayes on the question of currency. That's going to come up later on as McKinley, spoiler alert, becomes the president. But they remained friends. It's just that they had some disagreements on the whole gold standard issue and um, free silver and all of that. Uh, McKinley voted for the Bland-Allison Act in 1878, and that mandated large government purchases of silver uh, for striking into money. And this support ends up overriding Hayes's veto of the legislation. So McKinley votes against the position of the Republicans, and namely James Garfield who was a fellow Ohioan and also a friend. So McKinley, he's standing up for what he believes in. Um, and we've talked about that before. Ben, I think right? so. Yeah. About the whole silver mm-hmm. thing. All those coins were minted. It's pretty crazy. Some interesting history there, but McKinley, he becomes known as a very independent thinker. Definitely. And he also becomes known as a pretty well-known guy as far as national politics goes. And it, makes sense because he's from Ohio and, you know, Ohio is a swing state and it matters what people in Ohio say when it comes to politics. So he serves a term on Ohio's uh, Republican National Committee. He gets elected to be a delegate to the Republican Convention in 1884. Uh, He serves on some committees and some uh, helps design some resolutions and stuff like that. Uh, And then, you know, just continues to keep keeping keep keeping is that a thing he continues to keep uh, multiple different seats and stays active within the party and mckinley tries to get elected as the speaker of the house in 1889 but he doesn't get it it goes to thomas reed of maine and then uh he's reed is like i kind of feel bad for mckinley so he appoints him as the chairman of the ways and means committee that's not too bad right i mean your chairman. So, yeah, I guess not. Back home in Ohio, the Democrats are being shrewd. They decide to get McKinley out of Washington. And there's a little thing called gerrymandering. And since the Democrats controlled the state legislature, Things got interesting back home while all of this Washington stuff is happening for McKinley. 
the Democrats decide, hey, we're in charge of the state politics. So why don't we gerrymander McKinley out of office? And that is exactly what happens in 1878. He faces an election in his 17th district. And guess what? He wins. But in 1882, McKinley is unseated because, well, the gerrymandering worked. He was very, very, um, well, we can just say he was depressed because of him not being able to uh, overcome this gerrymandering that, that happened to him. But he said, I will run again. That's right. And then in 1884, he does run again, even though the Democrats had redistricted his county, he still gets to go back to Congress. And so in 1890, they try it again. Uh, They just won't give up. And they uh, pretty much put Stark County in one of the strongest Democratic counties. And even though a lot of these things are pretty they, they seem to be pretty good on the face the republicans just weren't able to get a lot out of it uh so mckinley gets out he really starts stumping it he starts uh, uh knocking on doors you know as it were giving speeches etc and ends up losing by about 300 votes but the republicans did win a statewide majority and that was good for the party but mckinley of course is so before he even completes his term in Congress, he meets with a bunch of people who are like, dude, you need to run for governor. Uh, please run for governor. And so he says, OK, um, I know the governor doesn't have a whole lot of power and can't really veto things. And it's kind of a mess. But I guess I could be convinced to, to run for governor. Yeah, so he wins in 1891. To make a short story long or a long story short, he won by 20,000 votes. And that's all well and good. You're the governor. But the thing is, is the Democrats still had quite a hold on the Senate, the state Senate. And you've got a Republican president, Harrison, uh, who's in the White House at the time. And it doesn't bode too well in Ohio to be a Republican because Harrison is not very popular. So McKinley, there he is. He's the governor. Can't get a whole lot done. But good things happen in 1896 because Grover Cleveland wins. And good for McKinley, believe it or not. Because despite Cleveland being a Democrat, the panic of 1893 hits. And this sounds like good news for McKinley because it's popular again to be a Republican until scandal hits. And McKinley had a buddy in Youngstown named Robert Walker. He lends money to McKinley uh, early on in life and McKinley uh, being grateful for this money that Walker had lent him decided that he would guarantee some of Walker's borrowings for his business. And 
McKinley didn't keep track of what he was signing. He thought Walker was a good guy and wasn't going to do anything malicious or illegal, (laughs) but Walker actually deceives McKinley and Walker is bankrupt and McKinley was called upon to repay Walker's debts in February of 1893. This was over $100,000, Ben. A lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money for sure. But a bunch of people who saw McKinley as being an upstanding guy thought, you know what? We're going to bail him out. We're going to take care of him. And he gets out of scandal virtually unscathed. A little, a little hit. But he's he's going to be okay. Well, here comes the election of 1896. It's coming. And it's going to keep coming until the next episode because uh, we're going to wrap this one up and get back to you next time. But first, we want to remind you that reviews matter to us and we hope they matter to you when you're checking out new podcasts to listen to or hearing a recommendation from a friend. If you could just head over to iTunes, leave us a short little review and hopefully it's five stars. But if not, we like your honesty, too. And then uh, maybe you could tell a friend this week that you really enjoy the Election College podcast and maybe they would, too. We would appreciate it. And, you know we do that little happy dance someday you'll get to see it but not today yeah and just in case your family isn't planning a vacation to butler pennsylvania where ben is the mayor uh you can still warm our hearts by liking us friending us and i was gonna say following but just join us on facebook twitter instagram (laughs) what have you we're at election college yeah it's a lot easier than traveling to butler um it's kind of like you interact with us and you get a little bit of a virtual autograph from the mayor himself. Oh, that's true. You know, I actually did have one guy ask me for my autograph. I thought it was weird. Yeah, it was kind of weird. But they happened. Okay. Hey, thanks everybody. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>